We'll be turning, if you would, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 1 through 8. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. This is found in the Pew Bible, if you're using that, in 1054, page 1054. 1 Timothy 5, 1 through, out, 1 through 8. Do not rebuke an older man, nor exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. Honor widows who are really widows. But if any, who, any widow who who has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show pity at home and repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Now she is really a widow and left alone, alone, trusting God, and continues in supplications and prayers day and night. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And these things command that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, thank you for being with us. It encourages us that you're here and we want to be an encouragement to you. I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, uh, but I believe we're going to have a great day in the Mount Juliet congregation today. It's a day that we'll honor our seniors and what a great group of seniors we have to honor. We'll also uh, give honor this evening to some of our college graduates. And uh, then also I look so forward to hearing Brent Dillard one of our seniors in high school will be graduating this year. In just a few days, he'll be preparing or speaking to us uh, tonight. He's been working on his lesson, and, and Brett is a thinker. He's a studier, and I always love uh, when I have the opportunity to hear him uh, prepare and deliver lessons. And so we look forward uh, to giving honor to whom honor is due. And that's an important word this morning in our study. Honor. I want you to give some thought to that word throughout the day, but more importantly, I want you to give some thought to your life. Do you truly honor others as God would want you to honor them? Also, I think about the fact that uh, next week is Memorial Day weekend, and we'll have uh, probably close to a couple of hundred of you will be camping together at Fall Creek Falls. And think about 20 years ago, there's just a family or two of you that did that. And now it's grown into a wonderful, uh, huge weekend and a wonderful worship service on Sunday morning together. And people in the park are uh, invited to come in together. It's just a lot of good that has come out of that throughout the years. And uh, if you are one of the few that stay back behind, we'll have a few hundred that worship here together. And y'all have a few hundred. And, and uh, anybody else that's not in those two groups, we hope you have a great weekend. Don't forget God. And, uh, and let's be mindful in memory of the things that God has given us. There are great blessings, including uh, the freedom that we enjoy in this nation. There are two girls that you may remember their story back a few years ago. It was in 2009. Amina and Sarah said they lived in Dallas, Texas, and they were murdered in a taxi cab. And now it is believed that it was their father who had them murdered. And of all things, they were murdered because the father said they did not honor the family. You see, she, uh, Amina, was dating a young man who was not a Muslim. And, And so because of that, her father told her, and she actually had said this to some of her friends in high school, Daddy wishes he could send me back to Egypt. Because there it would be perfectly acceptable to have me murdered 
for the dishonor that I brought to my family. Now, isn't it interesting that that murder that took place was because of a lack of honor that her family established that definition of honor? And of all things you could call this, their culture refers to this as honor killings. You remember back a week or two ago when I said to you that the struggle that we have, and I'm not saying it's brand new in, in America and in the, uh, the years, uh, the decades that we live in now, but it is a huge problem that we all must face, and that is whether or not there is an absolute truth. That's not a problem. It's the problem if we don't understand that there is an absolute truth. And then people will try to use the crutch. Well, that is my interpretation of it. Are you fine with everybody having interpretation if it means that daughters get murdered? Because they actually not only in this scenario murdered two girls, but they call it honorable murder. It's honorable killing that they do. You see, the fact is, when we use the word honor, it's real easy to throw words around and forget that words have meaning. And within those meanings, there is great power and distinction. Honor not only has to do with esteeming someone and lifting someone up and respecting them, but, and when I say this and give you an example, you'll say, well, certainly I agree with that. But honor literally has to do with a principle of morality that is set. You see, it's not free to just throw up in the air and say, well, that's what we call honor, and so we ought to be able to do it and call it honor. If someone in our community right now went out and and abused and molested and robbed an elderly lady, no one here would say, that's an honorable person. Why? Because they have violated morals that we hold dear that people have a right to be safe, that they should not be robbed, that they should be treated with what? Honor. We either do things that are honorable or we do things that are dishonorable. Now, why did we start with that this morning? Because right now, I want to challenge you not to just set in your mind, okay, I do it and we're good. I want to challenge you this morning. Will you back up and say, you know how I have perceived the way God would want me to honor my church family and even honor my physical family. I know what it is and I do it and we're all okay. What if God looked down right now at some of us and he said, you know, you don't honor my family the way I would expect you to honor my family. Keep in mind, He sets the standard of truth. So it's not, do you feel like you honor the family? This morning, my challenge to you is, are are you willing to open up the Word of God and and sit down, if you will, with the Heavenly Father and have a family talk? Remember those times in, in your families whenever the family came together and said, we need to sit down, we need to have a family talk. What's beautiful about 1 Timothy, the fifth chapter, is that it is a time where God is calling family together. Now, when we think of the many descriptions throughout the scriptures that God gives, the metaphors and analogies of God's people, it's interesting to think of of things like we're a kingdom or we're a holy nation or that we are a priesthood. We are the branch and, and the Lord is the vine. Or we think of him saying we are a temple. We think of him saying, we are an assembly. We are one body. As we've been looking for weeks, we are the flock. 
He is the shepherd. You see, every one of these descriptions that God gives to describe his people, they're to help us learn characteristics about God's people that require us to do something. If I understand that I'm part of the kingdom, that means I understand I have a king. If I understand that I'm part of the flock, that means I have a shepherd. Now, please note this. When God tells us we are his family, what is our responsibility there? You, you see, it's, it's easy. And, and I, don't get me wrong. I think it's wonderful. That's a warm one, isn't it? Where we say, oh, I love that. I love that metaphor where God says, we are family. It's, it's a warm description. It's kind of that cozy feeling. It's, I love the fact that we're family. All right, that's good. But Paul's right there. If we really are family... You know that being family always comes with huge responsibility. And so instead of us just saying, oh, I love this warm description, we're all family. What we need to do is pause and say, you know, the way God designed family, if you're a husband... It comes with big responsibility. If you're a wife, it comes with big responsibility. If you're a child, it comes with great responsibility. If you're a parent, it comes with great responsibility. And so why is it that God calls us his family? Because we come into this wonderful relationship with him with great responsibility to him, our father, and to all of the rest of our siblings. There is a scholar that I read almost every week when I'm preparing for either one of the Bible classes or one of the sermons. I love reading him. And I would say probably 98, 99% of the time, I finish reading something that he's written and I say, wow, that was helpful. That was really good. I was really shocked when I read his introductory remarks about 1 Timothy 5. Did you notice what we just read? Did it seem random to you? Did it seem random that that he went from from talking about older men to younger men to older women to younger women to talking about widows and widows that were over 60 and widows that were under 60s and and a physical family's responsibility if they have widows in their family and what about a widow that doesn't have children in her family and then if we read on a few more verses we would read where he immediately jumps then to elders and what about if an elder is worthy to be paid because of the amount of work that he's doing and what about if an accusation is brought against elders here's what this scholar says about first timothy 5 he says There is no apparent organization of the materials by Paul in this section. But like any person writing a letter, he merely jotted down the thoughts as they came to him. Friends, if that's our thought about 1 Timothy 5, we may can learn some good things about random facts. But I would plead for you to realize today, as you study First Timothy, Timothy, the fifth chapter, there's something that is very organizational about it. And what he's saying is, I want you to live with each other according to honor. It is honor that runs from the first verse of this chapter throughout the very end of this chapter. For example, if we think about Paul writing to Timothy... Older man writing to a younger preacher. Now, now I'm not talking about a 20-year-old preacher. He's probably a younger, middle-aged preacher at this point. Timothy is. And he's working with a church at Ephesus, a church that's been around a few years. And what can you count on with every congregation of people? 
They're imperfect. So how is this young man, Timothy, going to deal with the problems that is going to exist, not only in Ephesus, but in other places? Let me just point out three to you quickly so that you can see, because if we just pick up in the fifth chapter, we kind of miss what's led up to the fifth chapter. Look with me, if you will, the first chapter in verse 5, 6, and 7. We'll just jump right to verse 6. Notice he's writing, Paul is telling Timothy about dealing with people like this. From which some, some having strayed, having turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. Paul, what are you saying to Timothy here? I'm trying to help Timothy learn how to deal with individuals that they just stray from the truth. And then you got other people over here, while they're straying from the truth, they're coming up to Timothy and say, hey, can I be a teacher at the church of Ephesus? I'd love to teach the ladies class. I'd love to teach the young men. And Timothy scratches his head and saying, what? You're the one straying from the truth? You don't even understand the word of God? And you want to be a teacher? Now imagine... If you are Timothy, how are you going to handle that? Are you going to jump up and put a finger in their nose and and tell them all the the ways that they failed and and they could never do it? How how are you going to handle this? Well, let's skip down and see another situation. In the second chapter, in verse 8, we see Paul teaching Timothy that men need to pray. Makes you wonder if maybe women were praying in the assembly. But men need to pray, and they need to pray without wrath and doubting. Were there men praying and, and, and bringing a lot of wrath and doubting into their prayers? And then we go to the very next verse in verse 9, and he's telling women how they need to dress. And when you put 9 and 10 together there, it ultimately comes back to modesty, that which is appropriate. And apparently, what especially some of the women in that congregation were doing is they were putting much more attention on the outward person and becoming extravagant in the way they dress outwardly, and yet the inner person is suffering. They were making sure their hair was all plaited up and braided, and they were making sure that they had a lot of jewelry on, they were making sure that they had expensive clothes. And here he's saying, wait a minute, why aren't you making sure that the inner person is what they need to be? Now how's this young middle-aged preacher going to deal with women who are dressing immodestly? Where worship has become more about a fashion show instead of a spiritual place where spiritual people worship God. How's he going to deal with that? Or we see in the fourth chapter, we see in verse 1 that he says, not the first phrase, but in the fourth chapter, verse 1, he says some will depart from the faith. And then he tells over the next several verses several ways that individuals are going to depart from the faith. That all leads up to the fifth chapter, where the fifth chapter is a family talk where he says, I tell you how you're going to deal with these people. You're going to deal with them according to honor. Just the way that you would honor people in your physical family. Now we understand that not all of us had a home, a physical home, where honor was practiced And where it was what it should be. But for this study, we have to appreciate the fact of God's design of the physical home. Where where mother and father honored God and they honored each other and they honored the children. And children honored the mother and father and they honored God. Now I want you to picture that because that's what Paul is going to talk to Timothy about. And so how is Timothy going to live in this spiritual family He's going to live in that spiritual family with the same kind of honor that he lived in his physical family. So let's go back now to the text that was read in 5th chapter and verse 1. Look back with me uh, in the 5th chapter and verse 1 and let's see this about honor. 
Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as what? Family. Exhort him as a father. Younger men as what? Family. Exhort them as brothers. Older women as what? Family. As mothers. And younger women as what? Family. As sisters. With all purity. You see, honor is all through that verse. If you took anyone that knows just a little bit about the Old Testament or a little bit about the New Testament, and you said, what is it that God expects us to do toward our mother and father? Almost anyone that knows a little bit about the Scriptures, they will immediately say, God expects us to honor father and mother. It's the fifth commandment. He gives the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments about our relationship with God, and then He gives six commandments about our relationship with each other. And the very first one that He lists about our relationship with each other, He says... Honor, honor your father and your mother. And when Jesus Christ taught on this topic, he didn't just teach something like it. He quoted those same exact words in Ephesians, the sixth chapter and verse two to honor our father and mother. And so Paul is teaching Timothy, how are you going to deal with the older man? Maybe he's the one going astray. Maybe he's the one that's not praying as he should. Are you going to go and rebuke him? And the idea of rebuke can oftentimes, in a metaphoric way, it can almost be violent in verbiage. In other words, it's the idea that that I'm going to come at you real strong. Many scholars, when they describe the word rebuke in this text, they use the word violent words. And so Paul here is talking to Timothy and says, how are you going to approach a man in your congregation? He says, don't approach him with violent words. Well, what, Paul, he's wrong and, and he needs to be corrected. How do you want me to approach him? And he says, Timothy, I want you to approach him like you would your father. Now, I want you to imagine having a good father. And maybe you don't have to imagine. Maybe you had one. But I want everybody here to imagine having a good father. What's a characteristic of a good father? They still make mistakes. No father's perfect. And so now I want you to imagine being a child that's got to approach your father about something that they're wrong about. They've, they've made a mistake about something and it needs to be cleared up. It's, it's causing confusion. Maybe there's a misunderstanding about something. How are you going in, in a godly family, we're talking a physical family, how are you going to approach that father? And see, it's the very same teaching for all three of these. It's, it's, it's being brought down through all three of these. How are you going to approach a woman who is confused, an older woman? How are you going to approach a brother? How are you going to approach I mean, a younger man or a younger woman? He's saying, you're not going to go up and attack them. What are you going to do? You're going to go up with honor and you're going to exhort them. And the word exhort is the idea of calling to one side. It's the idea of inviting. It would be the idea, can we sit down and talk? Could you come to my side and listen to me on this? It is the very same word. I'm not saying kind of like it. It's the very same word for comfort in the Beatitudes where blessed are those that mourn for they shall be comforted. It's they shall be exhorted. How do you want us to approach each other, God? He says, I want you to approach each other with exhortation. You've got to resolve something. Go in a comforting type of way. Don't go in an attacking type of way. You remember Galatians, the sixth chapter and verse one, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such one. How? In the spirit of meekness, you go to them in a way that brings comfort to the situation. You go in a way that is very humble. You go in a way that's what? You go in a way that honors the other individual. 
That's the way we approach older men like fathers. That's the way we approach older women like, like mothers. But notice when he says brothers, we approach the brothers. And, and how do we approach them? the younger men as brothers. So see, that is the idea that here are our peers. They're, they're those that are closer to our age. And notice he used the word brothers because that takes out competition and hierarchy. In other words, we're not in a race to have some kind of permanent position in a prominent position in the Lord's church. Let me say that again. We are not in a race to achieve a prominent position in the Lord's church because the Lord's church doesn't have one except one, and that is the head of the church, and that's Christ. There's no other prominent position in the Lord's church. And so we're not in a race to take over Christ's place, and so that means we're not in competition with each other. And so what if Timothy's got to go and talk to one of his peers that's about his age, and it's another man? He says, Timothy... Don't you go like you're on a pedestal looking down at him. You go like he's family, like he's one of your brothers. And that's the exact teaching, Matthew, the 23rd chapter, when he rebuked uh, in his words the scribes and the Pharisees. Remember, they wore special clothing. The leaders did. They wore special clothing and they sat in special seats in the feast and in the synagogues. And they demanded to be called by certain titles. And you remember how Jesus explained why we were not going to do that in the Lord's church? He explained it this way. We are all brethren. Think how simple that is. If you have never read those several verses to get to that one explanation, that is amazing that he lays all of that out. And his one explanation is, you know why we're not going to do this? We are all brethren. Why? Because there is an honor that we bestow upon each other when we truly love people like they're our father. When we truly love people like they're our mother. When we truly love people like they are our brother and our sister. And isn't it interesting that purity comes into that discussion? He's writing to a young man named Timothy. And he says, you deal with ladies in a way that is pure. Now, you know that there's a lot that we could say about that. And at the right time, it needs to be said. But for this lesson on honor, we're going to have to move on. But I would like for you to see this. So we we have honor being established out of verse 1. And we go now to verse 3. 1 Timothy 5 and 3. And for the next few minutes, I've got to really cover several verses for you to get this whole picture here. And and, and I'm sorry if it's kind of... feels like rushed. It feels rushed to me, but it's the best I can do. Okay. All right. Let's, let's look at the fifth chapter in verse three. Look at honor widows who are really widows. What does that mean? The church is to take on and sometime honor has to do with financial. And that's what he's talking about here. We are to take on even financial support of widows. If according to verse nine, they are 60 and above Notice be taken to the number, not unless she be the wife of one man. She's been faithful to her husband. Now, of course, she's a widow now. He's deceased. Verse 10, well reported for good works. In other words, she has a godly reputation. If she has brought up children, she is a nurturer. If she has lodged strangers, she is hospitable. She has washed the feet of saints. That is uh, servanthood. And if she has relieved the afflicted, That's compassion. And if she has diligently followed every good work, that's faithfulness. Faith without works is dead. That's faithfulness. And so here, even in the way we honor, remember how we began this lesson by saying we got to let God set the standard and not us set the standard. And so when we say as a church family, 
How should we honor widows who, according to this phraseology here, who are widows indeed? Well, there's a criteria set up here. And if they fulfill those things, we have a responsibility to honor them in that way. You remember James, the first chapter in verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. Notice he says, to visit the orphans and the widows in their troubles and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, when when we look at that, we see that there is a religion that God gives. You know, religion gets a bad rap today, and there's definitely a lot of bad religion today. But we can't throw out all of religion because some people abuse religion. There is a good and a righteous religion that God gives us, and a part of that religion is to take care of orphan and widows. And the word visit means goes with open eyes. This idea, I'm going to go to relieve your burden and to relieve your pain. And so we honor widows in the way that we look after them and care for them. But as we learn this as a church family, notice we are to do this first at home. In other words, we do not come to church, and this is God's plan, okay? According to God's plan, we do not come and be a part of the church and practice an honor that we have never practiced at home. We're supposed to already be practicing honor at home, and we come in God's family and just continue to practice that honor. For example, it looks like this. Back to our text in 1 Timothy, the fifth chapter. Look at verse 4, 1 Timothy 5 and verse 4. If any widow has children or grandchildren, some translations would even get niece and nephews because the Greek is not real clear. It's the idea of offspring that are close to you and your family. And so you have children or grandchildren. Let them first, see we have priority, let them first learn to show piety, that's the idea of honor, that's the idea of support and respect at home. So you got that? Let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay, now we got payment in there, and to repay their parents for this is good and acceptable before God. God gives an order here. Let's say we have a a woman that's over 60 years of age. She deserves to be honored by the church, but there is an order that even can come a greater responsibility if she has children or grandchildren, the church is not to take and support her financially. Why? Well, let's look. Skip down this very same chapter. Skip down to verse 16. If any believing man or woman has widows... In other words, do you have a widow in your family? Let them, talking about the believing man or woman, relieve them, talking about the church. Do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows. What's the point? He's already said it earlier. You learn to show piety at home. You learn to show honor and respect at home. You have a widow in your family. You take care of your widow. Now, if that widow does not have children or grandchildren, then it is the church's responsibility to take care of. So what's the point? See how the point is honor? Go back to the very beginning of this chapter. How do you deal with older men? You approach them with honor like a father. Women, mother, sister, brother. Well, how how do you deal with an aging widow? You deal with them with honor. If they're in your physical family, God gives you specific things. Now, keep in mind, you don't get to set the definition of what honor is. God set the definition. And so you don't play the old, well, my interpretation is, let the truth be the truth. And so you say, if I'm going to honor the way God expects me to honor, he's laid out what he expects me to do. 
And then as a church family, we can't play the interpretation game. If, if we have widows over 60 that have no children or grandchildren to take care of them, we have a responsibility to them if they truly have a need. Now, with that being said, let's close out by looking at one more that, again, some people would say, well, this is random. It's not random. He's pushing honor all the way through to say, Timothy, in the church family, you're going to deal with a lot of people and a lot of situations. And you can imagine Timothy saying, Paul, please tell me how to deal with these things. And he continually says, you do it with honor. You do it with honor. You do it with honor. So let's close out by reading 17 and, and the following verses. Look at verse 17, still in the uh, fifth chapter here. And notice, uh, notice what he says here in, uh, well, let's, let's begin in verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of what? Double honor. Especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. And this is, verse 18 is, no, is how we know the context goes to financial. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox which treads out the grain, and the labor is worthy of the wages. An elder is worthy of honor. We had the qualifications in this very same book, 1 Timothy the third chapter. They're worthy of honor because of the life they've lived and because of the work that they do. But now he says the honor may need to be doubled not only in respect that you have for them, but if they are working for the church, so to speak, they are worthy to be reimbursed for that. I know that seems unusual to us in our traditions of the Church of Christ today, but do not confuse tradition for doctrine. It is perfectly acceptable for elders to be paid. Now, with that in mind, though, just pause here for a moment and you say, Timothy, how are you going to deal with elders? And what's Paul's answer? You deal with them in an honorable way. You see, it always comes back. Are you dealing with them in an honorable way? All right, what about... Elders, just like we pointed out, nobody's perfect, right? What are we going to do when elders make mistakes or people make mistakes about accusing elders? Well, he deals with that too. Notice this honor that, that is in place here in verse 19. Do not receive an accusation against an elder uh, from two or three witnesses. So the point is there has to be at least two witnesses before an accusation is heard against an elder. Why? They deserve that much honor. There doesn't need to be rumors flying everywhere just because somebody thinks they saw something. He says, if you're going to bring something and you're going to make it public, or in other words, you're going to make it be known to somebody else, you make sure there's at least two that know this fact. And then you say, well, who do you tell? Now, there's a little bit of debate here in, in verse uh, 20. Notice he says, those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all. And the debate is, is that in front of all the church or is it in front of all the eldership? But either way, it has to be known in the presence of all. Let's just say it's in the presence of all the elders that the rest also may fear. And that seems to go along with your making an accusation against an elder, you're going to bring, cause of respect for them, you're going to bring at least two witnesses, you're going to gather the elders together, and you're going to say, this is what we've seen this one elder do. This is how we've heard them talk to somebody. This is the harm that we've seen them done to the church. This person says we've seen it. This person says we've seen it. And now the eldership can handle that. And if you go back to Matthew the 18th chapter, and if it needs to be brought to the entire church, it can be handled. But even notice, somebody says, wow, that's serious. That is serious. But here's what I want you to see from this. Even as serious as that is, how do you handle it? You still handle it with honor. Sometimes I'm afraid we get the notion of if you do wrong to me, I can just do anything I want to do because you've already done wrong. No, if you do wrong to me, I still have to handle you with honor if I truly am a child of God. If one of our elders does wrong, we still have to deal with them according to honor, according to the word of God. 
As we think about this shepherding mindset of what responsibility do we we owe to each other, we always owe honor to each other. I've asked you several times to pray, to give your all to grow. I want to close by just mentioning to you something this week that it almost brought tears to my eyes from two or three different angles. I was talking this week with someone that hasn't been here in months. And in the midst of the conversation, they said, we don't blame people at Mount Juliet. We don't blame them at all. And then in the midst of our talking, they also, I said to them, well, I can tell you this, we're studying hard right now. And we're praying. And as a church family, we're trying to grow. Trying to do a better job of caring for people the way God would want us to care for them. And this person said, I know that. Because the last few weeks, there have been some people in that congregation that have seen me and reached out to me that have never done that before. And this person looked me in the eyes and said, it's working what you're doing in the congregation. Brethren, in my opinion, we have so far to go. But I believe we really have taken some huge steps forward. In a few minutes, the amen will be said. And there's going to be some guests sitting around you, and the question is, will you honor them this morning? There's going to be somebody that should be sitting around you, and they're not here this morning, and they're hurting deeply, and they'll just wonder if anybody in the church will care. And if it was your mother hurting, you would honor them. And if it were your sister or your brother hurting, you would honor them. There's going to be somebody sitting around you that's going to hurt your feelings. They're going to do the wrong thing. But again, the question is, will your response be honorable to them? I ask you to keep praying for yourself. I ask you to keep praying for us as a congregation. I ask you for all of us to make our heart open to the will of God. And next time you hear the word family as it relates to the church family, I ask for you to not only feel the warmth of it, I ask you to feel the responsibility of it. We are family. And it comes with great honor, but it comes with great responsibility. Who are you caring for? Who are you reaching out to? We've got souls in the balance in our membership right now. And right now, they're on the wrong side of the balance. Let's pray to God that for His glory, we will honor our family. This morning, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand.